Marvel supervillain actor Jonathan Majors was shortly fired after being convicted of assault. But even after telling his side of the story, will his career be canceled? And speaking of supers, the superhero movies that is, are they really dying out due to fatigue? That's next on Popcoms. Let's get the show started. Welcome to Popcoms, where two accomplished communications professionals and one enthusiastic outsider come together to comment on the pop culture headlines from our industry and non-industry points of view. I'm your host, RJ. I make up one half of the communications professional side of the panel with over 15 years of traditional media, social media, nonprofit, and corporate communications experience. And because of this topic, I'm letting you know I'm a Marvel and DC fan. Joining me on the comm side is Lauren Gay. Hi, RJ. Glad to be here. Tell us about your comms chops and comic book allegiances. Yes. So um, I've been in the comms field for about three years now. I'm more of like a PR specialist, kind of generalist on a lot of different areas. And I am a loyal Marvel fan, but I've secretly watched DC movies every now and then. Well, that's awesome. And that's okay for you to secretly watch DC stuff here and there just to do your comparison and not feel like you're you're cheating on Marvel, right? I can never. You can never. I can never. <laughs> now, our enthusiastic outsider and pop culture fan is Veronica Saldana. Hi, RJ. Thanks for having me. I'm Veronica. Tell us about your professional background and your fandom. Okay. So my history goes back to I am a public relations major. I did communications for a while, but now I work for um, a local city government in the Department of Community Development. I am both a Marvel and DC fan. I did grow up mostly on Batman at first, but I eventually learn about the Avengers at some point, thanks to my father. So I am well-versed in both areas. <laughs> Our first topic, recently fired Marvel supervillain portrayer, Jonathan Majors, opened up for the first time to ABC after being convicted of misdemeanor, third-degree assault, and second-degree harassment charges against his girlfriend. He plans to appeal. We all watched the interview. Let's get reactions. For me, panelist, I found him to be a very quiet and sympathetic figure at times, but he also kind of came off as being clueless about his entire situation and what was going on in his life. Some of the facts of the case itself, it could be when people do interviews, especially after they've been convicted and, but there's going to be an appeal process. There's still not too much of the details that they can say or not. They don't want to make their situation worse by saying some more things in, in the case or not. But all the same, it, as he was talking through the things that he could say or, or he was coached to say about the case, it all reminded me of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard case. Now, that was a civil case, but it just seemed like both parties were at fault somehow or in some way. There's that back and forth. So, Lauren, let's start with you. What did you think of the interview you saw it, of course? So, at first, it was just kind of like, what a move for him to have his first interview with GMA or ABC News, a company hired by owned by Disney that just dropped. I was like, okay, power move. I also felt, you know, similar to you, both parties has some had fault. I mean, John, he looking back now, he's probably like, I didn't, shouldn't even have been in the car. Like now, his whole life basically has been derailed by this. He can't see his daughter. Like he, all these fame and stuff that he had, he nobody wants to be around him. Nobody wants to work with him. So, again, I think that this, again, both parties are in fault. I see his side and I see Grace's side, but I mean, I'm not picking sides in any point of it, like, you know, at any point of this. I just feel like what 
he is kind of at right now from the I also don't know if y'all remember this. Do y'all remember that video that came out of him like breaking up a fight? Did y'all ever see that? No, tell us about there that. Was like a so there was kind of like a video of him, like it was these two I think he was he was somewhere at a school for some reason. And there was this video of him and two girls were fighting and he was like, Hey, stop, break it up and from as we can all probably guess this, from a comms perspective, it looked very much scripted. And I just feel like from that moment on, a lot it just it's just been so scripted for me. Like I can't really differentiate what people are telling him and what his real feelings are. You know, and I feel like that started with Megan because or him and Megan started dating. Like, okay, is that real? Like, is and I know we'll get to it, so we'll talk about it yet. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I'm just kind of I don't know what's real and what's not. And I just won't. So it's kind of hard for me to kind of speak, you know, speak on it. For you, it did make him a more authentic figure with this interview. Instead, it put some more questions in your mind about, you know, is is he being real? Is he being fake? Is he just going by the lawyer's talking points or something? Exactly. Yeah. I'm kind of, and I was like, I was kind of like, like you said, is he being real? Is it, is it just reading off a script? Was, is he just reading the teleprompter right there? Or, you know, especially from like a comms professional, we do media trainings. We do all that stuff, you know? So it's kind of just like, what, like, how do you feel and what's being genuinely portrayed in vibe? So that's kind of how I felt just from after this interview. I, I want to believe that it's all real, but then again, thinking of my comms hat on, I also, what goes into, an interview of this caliber too, you know? Veronica and you, you're coming from the perspective of being a fan. So I first discovered Jonathan Mayers in that show on HBO, Lovecraft Country. I really thought he was a great actor. And hearing him coming into the Marvel universe, I was excited to see what he would have to offer because he was at a solid performance on that show. And so obviously Lauren let me know about the situation because I was completely unaware And then when I found out, I was kind of shocked. And then I saw the interview and I'm kind of on the same fence with Lauren. It was really hard to see what was being honest and what was just, you know, scripted. Clearly, there were a lot of flags on both ends of the relationship. I think because emotions were flying really high, people acted based on emotion instead of critical thinking. And so, you know, he got caught literally red-handed and she reacted. And that is completely valid for someone to find out that you're being cheated on. But again, because the the situation escalated the way that it did, I think both parties are at fault. You know, one person decided to take matters into their own hands while the other person also wanted control of the situation. And so here we are in the middle of a session where who is actually being right and who is being wronged. And then, you know, you have valid proof that two parties did something on their own that could have contributed to, like, specifically regarding her that she went out that night, you know, and, you know, she hurt herself, or maybe this was part of the problem, you know, like, we don't know, we saw him literally pick her up violently, put her in the car, you know, there's, there are concrete evidence on both ends that these people were being aggressive towards each other but the thing is it's he said she said and now we're here and with that interview you have highlights of conversations imagery and it's like did you guys not know what you were getting yourselves into or did you just wait for this to blow up in your face because if this man was already cheating on her for a long time why didn't he cut this through if he had noticed the red flags because he mentioned that He said it was toxic from the beginning. If this was toxic, why did you not take the matters into your own hands and walk away? So at the same time, it's very hard for me to find pity when this consequently became your action. And here is what here is what happens when you don't take matters into your own hands. And when you do, it happens too late and it blows up in your face. Exactly. And the other (laughs) okay, Lauren is snapping and clapping her hands there. You also mentioned what I thought was interesting, Veronica, that it was was hard for perhaps people have pity on the situation because as they're learning the facts of the case, both, both sides contributed to what ended up happening. And Jonathan mentioned, of course, that overall his 
situation, the relationship was toxic overall. On social media, of course, it's come out, people have, uh, and different articles have come out with Jabari herself. Grace Jabari is the, the name of the ex-girlfriend coming out herself with a statement saying that, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't even show remorse. So, so to speak is kind of what she insinuated in the statement. So I'm, I'm wondering though, could there have been some work done for Jonathan in that sense to build up that sympathy, that empathy, that pity, if you will, for him, if he had perhaps leading up to the case, put out more statements about how he is not a person who harms women, respects women, loves women, is, was raised by women or so to speak, or he has a, a child with, we're assuming with someone he's, he was not married to that he could say he supports the mother of his child or something like that, or show that he is contributing to an abused women's shelter or an organization. And then himself being that he was in a toxic relationship that look, I know that I was in a toxic relationship. So I am working on myself. I'm in therapy right now. We're, we're trying to understand why I, I make these types of choices. If he did any of this, do you think the sympathy factor would have tilted in his, in his favor a little bit more? Let's start with you, Veronica. Well, I think yes and no. Like as from kind of a public relations standpoint, you know, we always want to make the person look good no matter what has been happening in the current situation. Like, um, take for example, Princess Diana. Her interview was one of the most worldwide viewed things after the divorce, right? No one knew her opinion. No one knew her thoughts. And this interview was a way to hear that, you know, and that rose a lot of sympathy with almost everybody in England for her. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I had this kind of notion that it would, this was the goal for Jonathan in this end. And while I think there might be some sympathy, and if he were to advocate that, you know, he is fully supporting, you know, women's abuse centers or, you know, being a part of an outreach program for abused victims, I think it would maybe slightly increase, but not a lot because he's still male and males will still be very much what's the word uh, there there's a critical eye on them because there is such a long history of violence towards women due to males egos and narcissism and you know just traumas that they have never been dealt with before so they take it out on other people, most of the time women, you know, so I feel like it it could help him on some ends, but also at the same time, he is going to be scrutinized for a long time through the public that we know that his biggest jury executioner is the public and gaining that is going to be hard. But I think Kind of like almost like Johnny Depp. He's quiet right now. I think if he were to go away for a bit where everybody could let the situation cool off and him slowly trickle in, I think that would be a good way to help him because then we're like, oh, yeah, this did happen. But you know what? I see that this man is going back to the craft. He's going back to acting. You know, he's really delivering, you know, and then has like a whole secret agenda that we're not aware of because like, once we find out, oh, he did do this, he did do that, he was a part of this program, he went to this convention, he had a, a speech doing this, doing that, you know, all of that work he may have done quietly on the sidelines can help bring back that popularity he so much, you know, was working for. And he was really honest about that, too, in his interview. You know, he was still very grateful, which to me was surprising. I've never heard an actor still be like, hey, I loved being on Marvel. It was a great experience. It was cool. You know, I enjoyed that. To me, that was like, wow, okay. I've never heard an actor actually be be completely grateful for an experience like that. I think there is a way for him to help himself. But I think kind of like on that end, if he does quietly go away for a bit and come back a little bit longer, I think he might be able to get back on the map again. And going away typically is a good method for us to forget what has happened. And so that when he comes back after that period of time and not being around and perhaps done some, does something admirable, is now a professor or something at uh, Yale. Mm-hmm. I think he, he was a, a Yale 
graduate, by the way, maybe, you know, as part of his comeback story, you know, he's, he does that, that time and distance and then coming back and seeing him rehabilitate him, himself and his image can work in his favor. But one thing that did not work in his favor that I wish they had worked on was that text message exchange that came out before the trial. And then, of course, during the interview, they released a little bit more of it so we can get perspective. But initially, the text message exchange that I'm alluding to and mentioning is that he was telling his ex-girlfriend that he wanted her to comport herself more like Michelle Obama and Coretta Scott King. That's the kind of thing that, especially for me, when I first saw that, I was like, okay, well, I think he's kind of being a bit of a jerk there. <laughs> That's a very high standard to put your partner against. And, and are you saying also that you're not like Michelle Obama or, or Coretta Scott King or something like that? That could be also seen as a diss to her, her character. Talk about, I mean, imposter syndrome right there. That's, that's a cause to make someone feel that. You know, like I'm an imposter being in a relationship with this, this great, supposedly great up and coming actor star who's part of the Marvel universe. Maybe I'm not worthy because good grief, I'm not like Michelle Obama or Coretta Scott King. But I, I think one of the things that he could have done in terms of coming out with a statement to kind of qualify, well, this is what I meant by that. And, you know, it's hard mm -hmm. to, to really understand what's going on in a text message exchange, right? Is that as, as, as a actor, I'm trying to be a great person or, or I'm trying to be a great actor. I'm trying to be a great man and I need your support. And if I look at examples of people who became great people who I look up to, let's look at Barack Obama, president. He would not have gotten to where he is without Michelle Obama. He says it in his book, and so does she. And, you know, Coretta Scott King, Martin would not have gotten to where he is be because of that. that. That's a bit of a stretch <laughs> going that route. But, but, you know, I could, I get what you're talking about with, with Michelle Obama. Let's, let's turn it over to you, Lauren, of your reaction to when you saw what he was alluding to, I think ultimately he alluded to that, what I was saying, that he was trying to get a, someone's support. He didn't say it very well. I, I should have been the one to write up the follow-up statement. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> to hire RJ. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I think definitely this just takes me, at first I, I was like, all right, Coretta and Michelle, bold. <laughs> like, bold. But then Coretta Scott's daughter, Bernice, posted on Twitter, like, my mom isn't in a prop like to respond to that statement, which I'm like, yes, <laughs> like facts, like, no, she's not. And it just makes me think like, cause they met on the Ant-Man set. Like I like that's where they met on the Ant-Man mm -hmm. set. And yes. I'm like, prior to like home, he's been doing Lovecraft. He was in Creed. Like he's already, like he was getting a lot like recognition. Like she was like, I'm not saying that she this is what she signed up for, but also like when you're going into a relationship with someone, you should kind of know. And that goes back to what Veronica said, like what he said on the interview, this was toxic from the start. So you coming to her talking about, hey, you need to support me like the 46th president of the, or like whoever, whatever, whatever he was. Like, I don't, I don't think that's, that's not vibing. And especially like in my community, because Michelle and Coretta in our community specifically are icons. I mean, Michelle Obama, I mean, that's all you need to say. Auntie Michelle, <laughs> like that's what they call her in our community, you know? Yeah. So it's just, it was bold of him to say that. Yeah, I don't think that should have been said at any point, especially in this context. I don't think that their their name should have been anywhere near this entire situation because now, I mean, her daughter is on Twitter trying saying, hey, my mom's not a prop. So, and I feel like now, like in the interview, they were like, okay, it's met. She didn't kind of say, is Megan that for you? But she, I feel like she kind of, what's the word, kind of uh, edged towards it. And she was like, you know, she's in a miracle. She's my angel. Like, I think she might be, you know, hopefully. And I'm like, again, is it real? <laughs> you know, like, I can't, you know? Like, mm -hmm. So I don't know. I just feel like that whole statement should have just been never spoken about at all. And their name should have never been in the near He could have picked a number of role model people. Um, that he, he could have, you know, if he's writing a list, he could have done a list and gone as high as Michelle and then kind of 
go a little further down, down, you know, and maybe, maybe made it even more generic, you know, or it's just simple. I just need you to support me. I'm trying to do great things, you know, be be a supportive partner and and leave it at that. But he didn't. (laughs) Somebody I thought of is like Samuel L. Jackson's wife. They're like, I don't know how long, but they married 20 plus years. And Samuel L. Jackson is one of the best actors of her, like ever. And she's supported him his whole career. But like the fact that he went to Michelle and Coretta, I feel like that's what, that's what, that's what did it for me. I'm like presidential status. All right. Yeah. So, so may, maybe then that is, is his, uh, aspirations down the line. We did allude to second chances before Veronica about maybe he needs to go away and come back do something in the community. I talked about he could be a professor. Well, ultimately, you know, we, we've seen with other performers, actors who've gone afoul of the law that they've been given second chances. So if you know the right people, the climate is right, you can get that second chance. Do we think he should get a sh- second chance? Veronica, I don't know. You're a little skeptical there. It It's hard because like, when domestic violence is involved, it's really hard to really not see that anymore. You know, it's like we don't know what really happens behind the doors, you know, and the fact that it's unfortunate that, you know, there was even an altercation to begin with. And, you know, there, there's there's going to be history there and history is very hard to remove, even if, you know, let's say Johnny Depp came back. Everybody would look at him differently. I mean, take for the fact, like, what about Ezra Miller? There has been countless videos, accusations, and the man still got a whole movie, a movie that bombed, matter-of-factly, and he he's still out there, you know? Like, and and what, what he didn't even get, a, there wasn't even a second chance. They just kept him there, you know, while somebody who is acknowledging they've failed, you know, will they get it? It's really hard to say. And like Lauren said, what is really real? You know, the whole angle between him and Megan Good, it's really strange. I'm not going to lie. It felt like it was very well placed. It was perfectly timed, you know, and it's like, well, let's let's state the fact that there is clearly a triangle here. You know, there's one person that was the catalyst to going all of that. Was a text message from her? Was a text message from somebody else? You know, like, who who do we really know is being truthful? Like right now, because you have a camera on you, you want to say exactly what you want to say because it's liquid gold. Um, It's just, it's hard. It's really hard with celebrities. And once you're outside of Hollywood, it's really hard to come back. So, I mean, I'm I'm skeptical, you know, on that end. It's very hard to not see it from a negative pers- like perspective. But if he comes back, well, he comes back. But, you know, that will always still be behind him, no matter what. And it, it's unfortunate that whatever we do, but particularly with celebrities, that you're always looked at based on your worst mistake, right? For him, this is the first worst mistake. And it definitely a big worst mistake because it landed him not only arrested, but then on trial, then convicted. And now he's going to try to go on appeal. Um, It's definitely changed his life. So just last thought, Lauren, do you think he should be penalized for his worst mistake and not get that ch- second chance? No, he should not get Because what I was thinking about was like the whole Alec Baldwin thing. Now, of course, that was fatal. Like the person lost her life but the movie's still gonna come out you know i just based on from his career i pers- i think that hollywood's gonna give him a second chance if i'm being honest he's still showing up at events he's still showing up at you know dinners and lunches and whatever so i'm not i'm not saying that i don't want to say that he shouldn't but i also feel like it kind of goes back to okay take some time go away be quiet lay low do the work on yourself, do the right thing. And then when the time is right, then whatever's supposed to happen will happen. That like the worst thing he could do right now is him going to, like to what Veronica said. Hey, I'm the new spokesperson for a domestic women's domestic, but please don't do that. <laughs> like, sir, please don't do that. So like, I feel like I don't want to say yes or no, whether he should or shouldn't. I'm skeptical as well, but I think that just I think of like the Alec Baldwin situation of it, like, 
he's still attending these luncheons and things of that nature. So I think if he lays low, then whatever will happen will happen. That's meant for him. Is the age of superhero movies and TV shows, for that matter, ending? The Marvels was the worst performing MCU movie so far, according to the New York Times and Disney's Bob Iger. So they think so. Also, let's not get started on the DC movie The Flash. Are the reports of the genre's demise greatly exaggerated, though? Well, us superfans have a lot to say about this, and maybe we can help fix this whole situation. So, Veronica, let's start with you. Are you tired of superhero movies and shows? Honestly, I think I was there for a moment. I felt like it was just a lot coming at me at once. But then What If came out. And then I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot how much I love this. And then you got the incredible season of Loki of, of season two. And then I was like, wow, all right. Is it, you know, like it's really hard because I can see the steam going down. You know, we had 10 years with the, our OG Avengers that we all grew up with, who we knew, who we loved. We had massive movies on their own. So yeah, I could see the steam just like, all right, people are ready for something different. But I think I got back on the back bandwagon again with watching Loki and what if I really enjoyed a lot going on with Peggy Carter. And that's, if I don't remember, if you remember RJ, that I was saying that, you know, I was interested in seeing all of Peggy's old stuff, you know, so I feel like it's reawoken this old love that I'm, I'm curious to see the old, see where the new is going. And I, you know, I'm just, I'm curious. I really am. You know, I'm always open to it and I really want to see where this direction goes. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to what we're getting to. I, Gonna hope to start Echo this weekend. So yeah. <laughs> and Lauren is, is cheering over Echo. If we did the video version of this podcast, she's got her hands raised, like to say her raise. So Lauren, what about you? You know, are you tired of superhero movies and shows or are you are still holding out hope? I think I am still holding out hope. <laughs> I'm that person. I think like what's really for me like after the end game, then Shang-Chi, Shang-Chi really like kind of added it to it. I was like, I love this. And then I'm kind of looking at what the, the other movies were. I think once kind of Thor, Love and Thunder, I was like, all right. <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, okay, Taika, it was, it was good. Like, I don't want to say, ooh, okay, wow. Yeah, I'm giving the thumbs down on, on Thor, Love and Thunder. It, it was so sad. It was Go ahead. interesting. And I was like, okay, definitely a little bit more funny than we're used to but then what really did it for me was so i think what thor and love thor love and thunder hit i was like okay maybe maybe they're not doing so great then we did uh, disney plus so of course watch wandavision really couldn't get into what if i did i tried but really wasn't my vibe i know i'm sorry but i loved falcon now controversial apparently because i loved falcon and Winter soldier i thought it was an excellent show I, I mean, Bucky is one of my favorite characters. I loved his arc. So I, of course, and like having Anthony Mackie, Falcon, becoming the Captain America, despite what other people are saying, I think it's a great call. And then like Moon Knight also reignited that love for me. I loved Moon Knight and I loved Loki and I have not seen Secret Invasion yet. And I think that's also people, like people like, it's not worth it. And I'm like, I feel like I had to, you know, so what mm-hmm. I think, so basically all that to answer your question, I'm still holding out hope. Echo definitely reignited that for me. I loved it. As somebody that's actually learning ASL, it just seeing that kind of this word is used so much, but see like that representation was just amazing from an amputee to somebody that's deaf. And from the spoiler alert, Choctaw Nation, I just love that show. So I'm still holding out hope for both the movies and the shows. I think that the movies have a lot of potential. I think once we kind of get through this, what's going on with Jonathan Majors and find a new king and all that stuff, I feel like there's be some new energy. For the shows in particular, I feel very confident that it's just going to keep getting better and better, especially with the um, lineups. 
I believe it sounds like both of you are leaning on the side of hope that there are still good elements to both the superhero movies and the TV shows. I think that you're right. I think the challenge right now is that it's inconsistent. That before, and as you're talking about the golden age of the MCU, that it was fairly consistent with those movies that they were top notch. They were event movies. You you were just jazzed to go to the theater to see them. They employed this this new connected universe where you watch the movie and then you're looking forward to then watching a show like say of Agents of Shield because there's going to be some elements mentioned in it that allude to the movie. And same thing with Daredevil. With some of the the super movie hero TV shows, I think DC was was superior. If you're a fan of that, DC was superior in that game where they developed initially these one-off shows that were pretty interesting, and then they were kind of watching Marvel and they were like, oh, "Okay, let's uh, let's make this connected." And once they made it connected, it worked out very, very nicely. And they, they then had these TV shows that ended up being these event series where Arrow and Supergirl and, and the Flash all came together during a December type of event. And they did Crisis of In- Infinite Earths and, and they pulled for the, from the comic books. And they actually were the first one to do more of that multiverse arc before Marvel did it in the movies and did it very nicely with Spider-Man. But, you know, DC on TV did it extremely well, movie level quality. So I, I think those are the things that they had gotten right when they, they first implemented this genre on a high quality level to the multiple screens, the, the big screen, the little broadcast screen, and now, of course, the the streaming screen. What are they doing wrong, though, that's causing people to go, I am so tired of it. No, I'm I'm going to instead see Oppenheimer. I would not, I'd rather not see, I I want to be three hours or whatever to watch this, this, it's a riveting but kind of depressing drama, than see Blue Beetle. And, and see this, this, this fam, this new character be introduced. What are they doing wrong? Either of you? I think it's because people have been disappointed with DC, like live action in the past, prior to just the shows. You know, a lot of people were not big fans of the Justice League or the Superman movies or even the Wonder Woman movie. You know, I do love Wonder Woman. I do, I did love those movies and, but the thing is that there was always a huge comparison with how DC quality films looked way different than Marvel and the pacing and the imagery was always an issue. My biggest thing was that like, I just, it, I was over the slow motion stuff in all of the movies. The slow-mo was just too over the top for me. And I remember just like, guys, we could have done this a whole way better than this. But we're talking to you, Zack Snyder. Is that what basically? (laughs) Well, I mean, like, I mean, some other people incorporated it as well. You know, it's not just Zack Snyder. It's not a, it's not a personal issue against him. You know, it's just that seemed like the kind of trend each movie kept presenting was let's watch the hero really go in slow motion as they like slice somebody open or, you know, kick somebody. You know, it wasn't, it didn't make me feel like wow, this is the grandeur of their power, like as opposed to something in Marvel where you just like, it's if the screen is angled correctly, you get the whole angle right and then you see the gust of power, whatever the superhero has, that's kind of more impressionable than just seeing a slow-mo of them like, you know, being a superhero. So I think as for the live action movies, that's always been a hard thing. I know animated is completely different. DC's animated movies are highly, highly recommendable. They are superb, in my opinion. I have never been failed by any of the animated ones. Like one of my favorites is the Flashpoint Paradox film, which is one of the first animated ones that went into the multiverse of of DC, at least, you know. 
And I've seen a lot of the Batman ones. I've seen Superman ones, even the Wonder Woman one. That's the first Wonder Woman animated film that I love till this day. I absolutely love the voice cast. I love the imagery, the the way they drew up the characters. Exactly. You know, Diana from Themyscira comes over, you know, whole thing. You know, I thought everything was done really well in the animated perspective. I just think that there's something missing with live action. And that's why everybody's just like, whatever. (laughs) So that's that's a good point that we wish the studios and the producers and even the directors would take a page off of the animation playbook because they are such high quality and they're doing a lot of things right. Lauren, what else do you think is being done right that you wish these producers, these these creators would tap on for the sake of the fans so that we wouldn't keep getting so tired of it because maybe it yeah. seems like it's a rehash or like they keep, they keep dumping on Marvel that, okay, if you see a Marvel movie by the third act, it's going to be some some villain who has the same power as the, the hero and they're going to fight it off and the hero's going to win. So that's, that's an example. Thing. But what what else do you think that it, they're missing their opportunity because the right things are right in front of them, but they're not repeating them? I just feel like what worked in quote unquote, the golden age of Marvel was just the like the like you said the consistency the storytelling i feel like once i keep going back to thor and like thor in my opinion had the most if not one of the most amazing interesting arcs because he went from serious serious but then the third one marvel took a a risk they took a risk they're like we're gonna hire taika and he's gonna direct and we're gonna let it be funny and he's gonna shave his hair and we're gonna like bring in all these I mean, weird and kooky people. And let's see what happens. Marvel had never did that before in their life. Never. And I think that kind of, they saw the success of Thor and they were like, we can do that so much more now. And I feel like with Love and Thunder and some some of these other, I feel like that is where the inconsistency came. So I just feel like what's right in front of them is take risks, do it, but stick to your true consistent storytelling. I mean, one of my favorite movies Still holds true. I think Captain America had one of the great, like the greatest trilogies. Civil War holds Agreed. down for me every scene. And Veronica brought it up. Fight scenes. That airport fight scene. Are you joking? Are you like introducing Spider-Man? Catching that shield. That's it. That's it. <laughs> like, <laughs> you don't need that scene alone, but I think was amazing. But also just the way you just consistently leave breadcrumbs. I think Marvel does that. Excellently. I haven't watched enough DC movies to see that, mm-hmm. but Veronica can speak to that. But I just feel like, and they also consistently with that storytelling, like when they introduce WandaVision and, I mean, when they introduce Wanda and it's her brother's name, when they introduce them, uh, P- Peach or, yeah. I think it was Peter. Oh, yeah, Peter. Quicksilver. Quicksilver. Quicksilver, yeah. Quicksilver, thank you. Like yeah. the way they were introduced was amazing. I think like just having those, like that consistent storytelling, but also that, like, take the risks. Right. But remember where your storytelling originated in. I mean, the Marvels, in my opinion, I think it was great, but I also think it had that kind of Thor Love and Thunder-esque to it, where it was like, we're taking a risk, but it's a little risk. You know, it was a little too much of a risk. Like, I'm not saying all Marvel films have to be serious, like Captain America Civil War. But again, I feel like that's what made us, like, that's what drew us in initially. I know we're going to talk about Endgame, so I won't talk about that. Veronica has has, uh, something to add to that. Go ahead, Veronica. Yes. I also agree a lot with Lauren says. I think presentation is key. And I think Marvel knew how to do that in a more artistic way. Because if you think about it, when you see DC characters, they're presented almost in a godlike form. Like they're huge buff or well fit, you know, you know, it's like, oh, they're the hero. We know they're the hero. Let's really make this so over the top in grandeur. And as opposed to Marvel, where it's like they start off as a normal person, you know, or they're gifted this responsibility and the way the story not 
only presents itself, you see how it intertwines the power, the personality, the responsibility of being a hero, you know, fighting that duality of being human, but being powerful. And I think that sometimes DC doesn't always get that. I think they're all about the action-packed scenes and, you know, DC has such a plethora amount of characters we can use, but they always go back to the like main five of the Justice League. You've got plenty of other, you know, actor, you know, not actors, I'm sorry, comic book characters that you can use, but you can do this differently. You know, if you want to recycle something, then, you know, use your creativity to present it in a different way. Like that's part of the reason why I do also really love Marvel because it's always been different. We know they have powers. Okay, great. They've established that in the very beginning, but it's different fight. It's a different story, you know, or how they, it, it all intertwines and within the universe. And I, for me, that's how WandaVision felt to me. I was blown away with just her storyline, how, how everything was filmed down to every kind of set of television series from the six, uh, the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, the eighties of just that time of television itself. Like that was such a nice twist, you know, like, Oh my God, I forgot about. I love Lucy or, oh my God, full house references or, oh my God, three's company. You know, all of these things were just blowing through my mind when I was watching WandaVision and it was such a creative thing to do. And like Lauren said, risks. But I think when you do risk and you put humor in it is where you fall flat. Humor done well, done very well, you can get a good movie. But if you're throwing in humor every five seconds, it becomes annoying. So I can see why Lauren would feel the same way about Love and Thunder because like most of the movie was, you know, a lot of quitty whips, humor here, humor here, exactly. humor here, action. And, and I see why a lot of people didn't like it. You know, I, I loved it, you know, I, because I'm familiar with Taika Watiti's work and I know how he is. And that was one of the things. If you're not familiar with his work coming into this movie, you're going to be like, what is this? So, you know, again, like, like consistency, as Lauren said, and presentation. I think if if DC could do something like that, they'd start off better. But now that we have a shift in director and product and producing and all of that, who knows? You know, Sean Gunn, <laughs> he, he was in charge of the Guardians and the things I've seen from him in DC, I really enjoyed. So who knows? That's true. And a, a, a point of just correction, it's James Gunn. Sean is his brother. That's um, right. <laughs> no, no problem. But I, I can definitely see that. And I get, it's interesting to see your enthusiasm there, Veronica, for him, because that's what DC is banking on, that people loved him as a director of Guardians of the Galaxy and that he'll in, in, invict that creativity and that different way of seeing things into the storytelling. And then he also comes from that Marvel universe of interconnected storytelling, kind of that experience. And so that he could be, again, he's, he's the Kevin Feige of that universe where Kevin Feige was, was basically the connector who made the whole connected universe happen. Whereas with DC, there was that complaint in articles that, well, different movie makers, once they head of DC studios and Warner Brothers were like, okay, look at what Marvel's doing. We have to step up and we have to move on to move up to getting a Justice League movie created. But they didn't have any touch points for these directors or screenwriters to get together and find out what the left hand and right hand is doing. So that's why, that's why you see in some movies, in Zack Snyder's movie of the Justice League, Amber Heard's character of Mira has a has an accent, and then the Aquaman movie comes, and she doesn't no longer has a British accent. I guess she went to school or whatever to lose it, or whatever. <laughs> and so there were a lot of those inconsistencies, and even the director of Wonder Woman, I, I think she might have even said nobody came to us to tell her tell us what truly was her backstory right so they're just working in a vacuum and you have little lines in the batman versus superman movie with wonder woman coming out and she's saying this is like when i fought the blah 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 beast and then you watch her wonder woman movies and you're like well when did she fight the blah 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 beast it's not in here or is she gonna lose to again and so forth but it's also interesting that you 
you allude, Veronica, to the fact that the, the differences, right, between the DC characters and the Marvel characters, that, that that's always been an interesting tension within comic book fandom because the DC characters, when they were created, they were meant to be very godlike and basically based based on Greek myths somewhat. Whereas Marvel, they were like, well, let's do something different. Let's give folks a job. This person, I mean, in in the comic book and we saw it screen, Iron Man was an alcoholic, you know, give him problems. You know, Peter Parker, he had to take a little side job of being a photographer to to help out. So there's that little tension. And I think one of the things where they have got it right and then they took a wrong turn is that yes, they were, they were pulling those plots from the comic books, but they weren't staying true to them. And they were, to me, in my opinion, they were altering them too much. And so understandably, you're trying to make your own universe with the movies, but because you're changing it too much, then the core audience of us diehard comic fans who would initially come out you may be losing them. And understandably, you want to make it more universal for everybody so that your next door neighbor doesn't have to have like a back catalog of issue number seven from 19, you know, 86 or something to understand what's going on. But you you do want to keep your core fit, fan do or dies happy because the do or dies will come out to the theater. That's it for another episode of Popcoms. I want to thank my fabulous superhero movie fan and accomplished communicator, Lauren Gay. Thank you so much, Ari, for having me. Um, it was great to nerd out um, on all things Marvel and be on a podcast with these amazing women. So thank you. And thank you. And also, uh, thank you to superhero movie fan and enthusiastic outsider who actually did have some PR experience, Veronica Saldana. Veronica, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a great time speaking with you ladies and realizing we all have a lot in common. Um, thank you so much for having me. It was great fun. We spent a little time stewing on the state of the superhero movie genre, and we're, of course, wonderful creative people we can help the industry out so panelists here's our kicker question what movie story would you pitch to marvel and dc to save the superhero movie genre and i'll start with the with an answer um let's see i would like to see an mcu and dcu crossover starring kevin feige the Marvel movie head honcho and James Gunn, who's now the DC movie head honcho, teaming up to get a Young Avengers and Young Justice movie made. Young Avengers, Marvel property. Young Justice is a DC property. And so this movie would actually be a behind the scenes movie starring these two head honchos, taking us through the casting and the the frustrating script iterations and and the different uh, shots of uh, of how directors are moving things forward with the actual movie making itself, almost like HBO or excuse me Max's Project Greenlight, similar to that. And then as a sequel to bring people back, we would actually see the Young Justice and Young Avengers movie that we saw the behind the scenes creation of. So. Lauren, let's start with you. Do you have uh, something to pitch to Marvel and DC that would save the superhero movie genre? I don't know if this is going to save the genre, but, and this might need to be like a, a little brainstorm. So for all the listeners, please like comment your ideas, jumping. But I feel personally that The Eternals was a wasted film. I feel like there is so much potential like, I know we saw, saw Harry Styles at the end, so I know something's going there, but I feel like there's more that, <laughs> Veronica's shaking her head at me. I know that there's more there. I mean, I don't know. I feel like I'm one out of like 30 people that like, like that film. I liked it. I think that these people have so much power. And I mean, even before Echo, Makari was the first deaf actress that Marvel casted. So, I think that there is a lot 
that can be done with the Eternals. I'm not sure what the pitch is yet, but something with the Eternals, I think, is what is going to, like, maybe it gets a new energy. Because, I mean, it's sarcastic. I mean, you have Angelina Jolie in a superhero movie. Are you joking? Like, kidding? You got Harry Styles in a Marvel film. Barry Kehoe, like, he's after Saltburn. I mean, this man is talked about everywhere. So that movie has a lot of new energy that can come from it. I don't know what All it is right. but. Okay, so we could see they need to listen to us that we need to do an Eternals Reborn in some sort of way. Um, and, and done in a way that really capitalizes on the fantastic cast that they had. Um, Veronica, you? Um, for me, um, hopefully this isn't any spoilers, but I would like to see more about on that episode from What If of Kahori, um, the indigenous girl of the Mohawk uh, community. Um, I want to see more of her story. I want to see more of her, um, you know, backstory of everything of you know i loved a little tidbit of getting how she gained her power how there's like a separate universe in the tesseract where a lot of you know her community is involved in there i know she's a whole new character and i honestly i just think it's really awesome to see you know more representation of the first nation people i believe that native americans do not have enough and i would love to see more um personally um, this one is completely different, but I saw Prey, um, with the, um, indigenous girl, you know, dealing with the, um, predator, um, situation. And I thought that movie was phenomenal. And I think that it is about time we've had more representation on that. And, um, just seeing more of that, like, I really want to see Cahorty. Like, she did such an amazing job in the last two episodes of What If. I want to see where it goes, and I think that would be my pitch. Give me more of her. If, you, if you've if you already written it, give me a movie. Give me a show. I don't know, but give me something. She is the, she is the next rising star and maybe a Captain Britain Peggy Carter movie, too, because I'd love to see that. I'd love to see that. I'd love I to see, see Chris it. Evans in the opposite role. So there you go. I'd see that. I see that. Well, studios, feel free to slide into our DM. Reach out to us uh, about this because we will be happy to elaborate and work with you to make it happen. Let's throw it to you, listeners. What movie story would you pitch to Marvel and or DC to save the superhero movie genre? Answer it in the Spotify Q&A and we may read it back. But that's it for Popcoms. We're out.